You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 34, airing on August 2nd, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, regular listeners of this show know that the U.S. State Department every year puts out an annual trafficking in persons report. And in fact, you and I spent a good deal of time last year about this time of really giving an overview of what is the trafficking in persons report what are all the pieces about it and if you haven't yet listened to that episode and you're listening to this episode you may want to go back to episode number five which we aired back in uh, let's see here june 23rd 2011 and it provides a great overview for what the trafficking in persons report is and i say that because that's our topic today sandy of looking at the Trafficking in Persons report that just came out for this year, 2012. And I know you've had your nose in this for uh, uh, a few days here and have been starting to really uh, uh, look at all the information and the data that's presented in the report. And so we're going to spend some time today really tackling this report. Oh, and- this report is just full of um, good information, um, some areas that we need to work on. It identifies gaps. It gives us um, some direction in our own communities and globally. And so um, I thought if we took a few minutes and walked through some of the highlights, obviously it would take weeks to really get a thorough review um, done on this. But let's just um, pique your interest in it. And uh, as we go into the details here, uh, you may want to take a moment and just jot down a few questions or if you've got and you happen to be uh, on the road, make a mental note of questions you have for us. And if you have questions about anything we talk about today, be sure to reach out to us. And there's two great ways to do that. One is to send us email to gcwj at vanguard.edu. And the GCWJ stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice, which is, of course, where we work out of and produces this podcast. And you can also reach our hotline to leave uh, questions. And that number is 714-966-6361. So don't be shy about reaching out with questions because there is a lot in this report. We won't have a chance to talk about all of it today, Sandy. In fact, we're just going to really scratch the surface. Um, but tell us about some of the things that have caught your eye so far and um, and how they relate to the ongoing conversation we're having about studying the issues so we can end human trafficking. Well, I think it emphasizes the weight that our State Department puts on combating human trafficking in that they make this uh, the release of this report a major event every year. Mm. And Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is the one who releases officially the report. And so at the Um, release, she began her remarks noting that September 22nd, 2012, just a few months from now, 
we will celebrate the 150th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, Mm -hmm. which Abraham Lincoln announced on that date by executive order. And one of the things that um, is so significant about that is we've got a generation of kids who have grown up thinking slavery is finished. We took care of it. We overcame this evil. And um, here, we don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, that's Lots what I thought. people say that. That's what I thought before I met you. So I think this year is a great opportunity for us to um, do some myth busting mm. of our own as we begin to understand we need to take it to the next level with the Emancipation Proclamation for those who have not yet experienced freedom. Mm. The, um, the report then is introduced also by Ambassador Louis C. DeBaca, and he begins with another reference to the Civil War and to slavery's toll on the people who suffered. And that sets the tone for this entire report. The focus here this year is really on the survivor Mm -hmm. and how do we restore their human rights, how do we restore their future, their dreams, their hopes, um, more than just physically they're out of slavery, but what are we doing in the process to help victims. And so he says that um, the part of the third P paradigm of prevention, prosecution, and protection that they will focus on is protection, the most effective ways of helping survivors get their lives back on track. And he makes this distinction in this focus, and he says that we will use the concept nothing about them without them. Mm. So we see an emerging um, best practice and promise, promising practice in that this idea of nothing about them without them. And the trend now, and you've heard it here, is to listen to survivor advocates, to um, see survivors become part of the victim service program, to let survivors' voices Um, drive public policy. Um, Remember we talked to uh, Carissa Phelps? I do. And uh, actually, a big shout out to her because her book is out this month. Oh, that's right. And if you haven't had a chance to purchase Runaway Girl, please go on Amazon or whatever your favorite book purchasing website is and get Carissa Phelps' book, Runaway Girl. She's an amazing survivor advocate, and she's an example of how important it is that we come around and support the process of restoration so that um, victims go to become survivors. Mm. Another great survivor advocate that we've interviewed is Holly Smith, and she continues a weekly column with the Um, Washington Times, Mm -hmm. where her policy um, voice is listened to. And in Virginia, um, she's been part of pushing the agenda for school teachers to have training so that they can identify at-risk and possible victims. Those are great strategies that span more than just victim services, but also reach into um, prevention. Mm as well as uh, public policy sector. So those are some um, opening comments about 
this year's report. Every year, I think the report gets more lengthy and more detailed, Mm -hmm. um, but it does have some um, significant highlights this time. Um, Aside from the fact that it is focusing on the victim at the center and adopting laws that are victim-friendly, helping with better victim identification, those are really important aspects. But the, um, the part that really struck me in this was how they began to identify where the community is especially significantly necessary, important in providing adequate victor, victim support services. Mm. Um, the, Which goes to that, I think that fourth P we talked about uh, yes. last year, that partnership P, that's a new, that's a relatively new part of this report, right? Yes, it is. Last year was the first time it was officially um, outlined. And at first I was worried that it didn't make this report. And then I found it buried um, in a in a page um Back on page nine, it it brings up the fourth P partnership, and I'd like to I'd like to see them keep it right up front um, from the beginning, and maybe next year that will happen. But one of the one of the sidebars in the report is about victim protection on a shoestring, and in this economy, one of the things that we're always dealing with is how are we going to provide the best possible outcomes for survivors with very limited resources. Mm. And this report identifies this statement that I think is a tribute to a lot of the people that are part of our community addressing this and our listeners. It states, where high levels of community awareness exist, governments have effectively partnered with organizations to improve services to human trafficking victims. So it recognizes the vital... um, contribution of nonprofit, faith-based, community-led organizations to the experience of, of becoming a survivor for victims. And it's, it's huge, Sandy, because we've been talking about this, of course, a lot this year, the importance of those community partnerships. And for we obviously won't spend our whole show talking about this today because there's so much in the report. But for those who really want to know more about that, um, you may want to go back to episode number seven of this show and that speaks in detail about the fourth P in the human trafficking, the trafficking in persons report. And then, of course, in episode 20, we also talked about community engagement and human trafficking. So those are great resources mm. for you if you are looking for more tools around that fourth P to certainly check out. Well, and for me personally, because that's been my agenda, encourage the community to partner with their local law enforcement. Yep. And um, we've seen evidence of that here in Orange County as we've um, developed that um, strategy. But in this report, we actually have an encouragement to law enforcement. And it says that law enforcement should work with NGOs, should seek out other NGOs mm. to develop. It should, should build relationships with NGOs through task forces and community partnerships. So now the directive is not just to the community, find out how you can get involved, but the directive is to law enforcement, oh. find your community partners because there just isn't going to be enough government money to do all of this. And it's a community problem. It needs community solutions. And we all know that uh, every state and local agency, especially these days, is really struggling with funding and being able to put 
time and resources into all kinds of law enforcement activities, not just uh, you know combating human trafficking. So exactly. those partnerships become even more important at a time of uh, economic challenge like we're all in right now. And, and we, we understand how a lot of those things that may not look like they're directly related to human trafficking have some kind of a fringe relationship or can be really integral to prevention strategies so that we don't have victims. Mm. Um, one of the other areas of um, interest in this report is how they've identified gaps. And one of the significant pages addresses the costs of myths and misconceptions. I can read myths (laughs) and misconceptions of trafficking in persons. And they identified, yeah, isn't that? Yeah, you should all try that three times, take a minute. Um, And how these um, impact the ability of our government to identify victims and provide the services that they need and bring the traffickers to justice. So here's some of those Um, problems. One is the prevailing concern about illegal immigration that continue to guide government's initial responses to potential trafficking victims. This is something we need to to work on. Trafficking indicators, it says here, are missed and victims are wrongly classified as illegal migrants and criminals. Hmm. So this is a gap that the report is identifying and it's something that has to be part of our Um, public um, discourse in our own communities. The um, second myth that they identified, narrow definitions and stereotypes that continue about trafficking as a problem confined to women and girls in prostitution result in the mistreatment of other victims of trafficking. For example, instead of receiving protective services they need, migrant men in forced labor may face immigration charges or deportation. Um, if they're not identified as trafficking victims. It goes, goes back to that conversation we just had in the last episode yeah. with Lisa Thompson on episode 33 about the importance of defining our terms and using the right language because that really does become key then in how those different, you know, different populations of people involved in this are then addressed through policy and through legislation. So it, uh, it really does become important, this language. So our definitions um, need to be more inclusive in mm. respect, especially across gender. And then finally, um, they identified a focus solely on initial recruitment of migrant workers and prostituted individuals, whether or not they consented, can impede the proper identification of subsequent trafficking authorities often fail to look beneath the surface for possible indicators of forced labor, debt bondage, or sex trafficking. So we, we can't find everybody right at the border when it just happens. People right. may have been in some form of trafficking um, slavery for months and even years. Yeah. And we need to be vigilant. So those are some of the gaps. They also identified an area that gets very little attention, and that is the victims who have disabilities. And the idea that someone with a disability it has a higher risk factor, partly, mm. of course, because we drum this in all the time. This would be someone with fewer options mm-hmm. and fewer resources. So this that's something for those of you who are working in areas, working with people who have disabilities or are advocates for people with disabilities. This page is for you. Check it out. Um, and then 
looking at the justice, safeguarding the rights of victims, um, one of the emphases here is to incorporate rights-based best practices into the judicial process. Probably the, um, the most significant um, reports this time on in the report have to do with the successes in the judicial process, the mm. increased number of convictions, the increased number of cases at state and local level as well. And then the national, the international reports have um, much more significant data on how many cases went to trial, how many traffickers went to prison, how many victims were rescued and um, put into rehabilitation and restored and reintegrated to society. Those kinds of reports are are much more relevant and more evident in this. And I know you mentioned uh, last year, Sandy, when this report came out, that the U.S. wasn't uh, always included in this report. We didn't really look at ourselves with the same standard or critical eye that we look at the rest of the world and that not only are we now included in the report and uh, have been, uh, but that this year's report in particular really does bring a lot more detail into examining where we are as a country and looking at ourselves too, uh, in addition to the, the perspective we have on the rest of the world. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that the report on the United States was the most lengthy, the most in-depth. It was under a microscope. Hmm. And so those have... Has that not been the case before? Well, and in the early days, the U.S. wasn't in the report. Right, And then right. they added that. And, um, and so there were a lot of, of uh, critiques from our international uh, community that, you're you're judging us, but you don't judge yourself. So I think we've done a really good job of going back and touching up at first base before we start Mm. rounding second base. Right, good. Um, uh, Just as a a quick um, review, it is a three-tier system, tier one, tier two, tier three, tier one being that you have implemented and are following through with a trafficking victims protection um, legal approach. Um, Actually, there's four levels because at tier two, um, you have instituted some um, uh, legal remedies. But um, if you have not had um, real good follow through, they don't kick you back to tier three, they make you tier two watch. Mm. And it's sort of an almost category. And there's lots of different ideas about that, but we we will save that for interviewing someone who's a policy expert. And then tier three, I assume, is uh, countries that have really not made any substantial progress on. They don't have a law. Or, they don't have resources for victims, and they're not doing community awareness. Right, and I think it's important for us to also know too that just because a country's tier three doesn't mean there aren't people in that country who are working tirelessly on these issues and, and absolutely working to serve victims and prevention. It's just that from a policy standpoint, the, that country's government have. has not formally really put the, the, the institutions and legislation into place to really address this exactly. issue. Exactly. Exactly. So the, um, as you, if you've mentioned, um, the United States is in this report. So, uh, I'll just, um, give you a couple of ideas and forgive me for asking maybe the obvious question sandy which tier are we are we in tier we're, one we're tier one okay uh, we were among the first to um pass legislation federal legislation 
that would give our judicial system the means to um, specifically prosecute for trafficking. And Mm. we based it on the international um, pattern of the Palermo um, protocol, Mm. which is what most um, trafficking victim protection acts are based on at this time. And a lot of the, a lot of the um, human rights um, aspects of anti-trafficking, we have other means besides just these trafficking laws. Sure. We, we have international conventions for on, on child labor and we have um, the, um, the declaration of human rights So we have a lot of international conventions that we as a global community have agreed these are the standards. And so we can use those kinds of um, conventions in order to uh, further progress in making this a human rights issue. I'm thinking back to some of my reading, Sandy, when I was um, working in grad school, the uh, Trafficking Victims Protection Act is the name of the law that was first passed. Um, Am I correct that it was about I remember in about 2000 and then it was reauthorized or mm-hmm. does that time frame sound about right? Yeah, that's right. It's been reauthorized and it's up for reauthorization again. Oh, um, okay. Interestingly enough, um, sometimes NGOs get it a little bit wrong. Um, there is this idea that if we don't get it passed by a certain date, the law expires. Well, it's a law and mm-hmm. the law doesn't expire. It's um, more about... Um, updating and strengthening and having the resources in Mm. place to continue to strategically move um, our battle forward for sure but um the the law doesn't expire it's a law so trafficking is against the law in the united states and it sounds like from what you mentioned that the u.s really has been a, a leader in the legislation end of this as far as codifying this and putting legislation behind what you know, we all have as good intentions, but really having some of these things in place from a governmental standpoint. Well, and and you think about the political um, incentive of having uh, a higher rating in the trafficking in persons report that mm-hmm. may um, have some value from um, an international commerce perspective, because of course, um, the the way that you we relate to other countries is going to be influenced by some of these kinds of um, factors. Sure, interesting. So when we look through the United States report, um, one of the encouraging um, aspects that are reported on here is fostering new partnerships with survivor groups, at victim advocates, and the private sector. Institute Universal Training on the Detection of Human Trafficking for All Relevant Department of Labor Investigators. Um, There has been a concerted effort to clean up our own house first. Hmm. I I was really impressed. Sounds sensible. I know, because, you know, we did have the, the sense that people were looking at us and saying, well, you're inspecting us, but look at your own house. Well, now what we can say is, yes, we have looked at our own house. And forgive me, Dave, because I'm looking for a quote. Um, what I was very impressed with in the, because they break the, the report into three categories, mm-hmm. prosecution, 
protection and prevention. And right. the longest part of our US report is prosecution. We have done a great job. Uh, we have a lot of work left to do, but we've got great case precedent set. Mm. Um, protection, we're doing a really good job of that too. And we are recognizing how important it is to partner in our community on victim services and restoration. But in the prevention aspect, um, I'll just read this statement about how it reflects the idea of taking care of our own house first. The U.S. government made progress on efforts to prevent trafficking, continuing efforts aimed at ensuring that government procurement of goods and labor services is free from forced labor, examining visa categories for vulnerability, and conducting public awareness activities. The cabinet-level President's Interagency Task Force to monitor and combat trafficking in persons continued coordination of federal efforts to combat trafficking in persons, supported by the Senior Policy Operating Group. What this means is that our governmental um, consumers, if you will, the people who are purchasing products for use by our government, are checking to find out if those products are labor free. People who are going out and contracting um, to do to provide services for our government are going to be evaluated for their um, their use of of exploited labor, and that is becoming a very big aspect of this. The Department of Labor um, has become a major partner in the battle against human trafficking. They have a list. For those of you who are really strong advocates for children, you will want to go to the Department of Labor website and look at the list of products that um, have been monitored because they are produced by child laborers in other countries. Oh, interesting. And the whole idea of things like the cocoa protocol that we've yeah. talked about before and children who are slaves on cocoa plantations. And we've talked about how the, um, the California uh, Supply Chain Transparency Act has helped us upgrade our consumer intelligence quotient. I don't know if that's a term yet, but it should be. I'm all for it. Yeah, on um, how we choose our products. And in fact, um, we continue to get inquiries on this podcast about how do people find those things. We had, we had an email this week from Matt Sikowski. And thank you, Matt. We're going to look at your question and um, come back to that in a in a future podcast. But interestingly enough, the limitations of fair trade and codes of conduct conduct for combating human trafficking, that, that's addressed in how we're doing this in the US. Yes, it's positive. Yes, it's helpful. Yes, it's great to look to see which brands are doing this. But what does what's the most promising practice in how we actually implement um, looking at the consumer angle on this. Yeah. So, yeah, and for those who may not think that that's a big deal, particularly the governmental aspect of this, I mean, the amount of business that the US government does and the amount that the US government purchases from businesses and goods and services is phenomenal. I mean, uh, and US government policy and procurement policy does set the standard for a lot of the industry on how 
we make purchasing decisions and people who work with the government need to follow those policies and procedures too, even if they're private organizations, uh, once they're over certain dollar amounts and certain sizes. So that's, that's huge for uh, us, all of us in really not just having good intentions, but really putting good, solid policy behind you know what it is, how we're procuring, you know, products and services, and making good decisions, and um, all the way down to the decisions you and I make when we go to the supermarket. I know. I'll tell you, Sandy. I went out looking for chocolate a couple of weeks <laughs> ago at our local supermarket, not Trader Joe's, and um, and they there was nothing. There was a oh whole shelf full of chocolate. You couldn't find anything that was fair trade, and I I. I talked to the store about it and I, that's not something I would have done, you know, two years oh, ago, but wow. now I know, and you know, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of other things too, but at least that's something I know about. I know that there's an issue with it. And so, you know, wherever we are in this, this equation, whether we're an individual consumer or we're with an organization that has a chance to influence policy, um, us raising our awareness around this really does get people thinking of how we put actions into place that do things differently that help people. Well, I, I was, really impressed because DHS and DOS, um, they put into place an online interactive training for the entire federal acquisitions workforce. Online wow. training. Cool. Now, what I want to ask then is how many, what percentage of, of those in that workforce have actually done the online training. Right. And right. that's going to be the question for next year's report. How many of their people have been crossed off as competent in that area? Of course. Because I believe that what we do at that level will then transfer to the private sector. I can't believe it, but we're actually just about out of time. I, I, uh, I, I, and I do you. It, so I wish you all could see this. I'm sitting here. I've got one mind pad of paper, uh, you know, just with a couple of notes. Sandy has across the desk sprawled the entire uh, report across and has just highlighted and notes all over the place. So I know we've just barely scratched the surface of what you wanted to talk about, Sandy. But before we go, uh, leave us with, you know, one or two thoughts of what, you know, you're taking away from this year's report and what, if anything, our audience should be asking as they go in and look for more details and, and maybe just a reminder on how people can access it too. Well, you can access the report if you go to our Facebook page, Global Center for Women and Justice. As soon as I had access to it, I posted it there. Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah. You can also go to the State Department website. Um, I think in closing and wrapping this up, uh, the hope that I have for future reports is that prevention strategies will be much more lengthy. Many, many times the report on prevention strategies is mostly an empty paragraph with hardly any real um, substance to it. Mm. The, the column for prosecution is, is full, full of lots of legal remedies. The column for protection for victim services is growing and needs to continue to grow. But prevention efforts, this if we begin to frame this as a public health issue, and we'll, we'll do a podcast on how to make that happen, um, then we are, by the very nature of a public health issue, going to have to turn more attention to prevention strategies. Well, I think we'll have to leave it there, Sandy. And, uh, you know, it's uh, a great overview in just a few minutes on this report. And again, if you're listening and you have questions and you get into the report and want to know more, Sandy and I will certainly talk more about this. Feel free to email us at gcwj at vanguard.edu. 
Or, of course, you can reach us at 714-966-6361. And just a quick reminder, too, Sandy mentioned it a moment ago, but we do have a Facebook site for the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. So if you're a Facebook user, just go on search for Global Center for Women and Justice, and you'll find us. And in addition to this show, we have a whole bunch of other resources and tools that are up there. So it's a great resource for everybody. Thanks, Andy, and I'll see you again in two weeks. All right. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone.